0: If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 44 through 45. I know we've been kind of focusing on Acts 2, 42 and, and, and 43, and that, and that area. but when we look at this passage, it goes on, it gives us a little bit more description of, of what the church was like as it began. And so we see here that, and all who believed, they were together, and they had all things in common. Man, I wish we could say that, but they did. They were united and so what, what happens then as a result of that, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It was a Sunday school teacher that was teaching her little class of boys and, and uh, they were 10-year-olds. Now that's a class for you right there. I mean, a 10-year-old class of boys would probably drive any teacher out of teaching right there. But she was there and she was enthusiastic about it and she was getting really excited with them and she asked all these boys how many of you would like to give a million dollars to the church Oh, yeah, man, that's great. They're screaming, yeah, yeah, yeah. She says, how about $1,000 to the church? And they're all in agreement. Yeah, they want to give $1,000. And, you know, we could give $100. How would you like to give $100? And they're they're going, yes. And she says, how about, would you guys be willing to give a dollar to the church? And they're all going, yeah, yeah, really excited. Except one boy, he's clutching his pocket. And she's like, Johnny, why didn't you answer? He says, well, because I have a dollar yeah you know it's great that we if you could give a million dollars to the church would you give it oh you bet I would you know wouldn't that be great a thousand dollars yes but when it comes down to will you give what you have hmm we tend to clutch don't we I mean money talks it's been said and and, and it really does but really money talks to me it usually says goodbye (laughs) it You know it doesn't stick around very long because it, it wants to go and do other things when you think about it, it says a lot about us, where we put our money. You can look at people and you can you can help determine something about their character by what do they do with the money that they have been given and it's important for us. It might surprise us to find that the Bible says a whole lot about money matter of fact it is the second most talked about topic in the Bible other than love as we were so appropriately talking about just a minute ago with communion alright so second to love the Bible speaks about money maybe that's why so many people don't want to read it right because it wants to tell us how we should do with it matter of fact about two-thirds of the parables that Jesus told they had an aspect of money attached to them. So it should, should be no surprise to us that when somebody becomes a Christian and the Spirit becomes a part of their inner workings of their life and of their heart, He addresses the issue of money within their life and their material possessions. And so when people come to Christ, the Holy Spirit utterly transforms our heart, our mind, our soul, our lifestyle, to where it even impacts our finances. And so we see that's what's happening here in the book of Acts. And they're coming together and they're worshiping Christ and they're falling into the Word of God and listening to the disciples teaching and they're fellowshipping together, they're breaking bread and they're praying together and they have all things in common and they decide we need to be generous. And so with a generous heart the church begins to change. And if we're going to be like that early church that we see in the book of Acts, we need to learn to become a generous church as well. Now, let me tell you, I think we're a very generous church. I mean, It amazes me how generous this church is. But I think there's always work, isn't there? There's always more that we can do. And so the church was overpowered by the spirit of generosity and meeting one another's needs. And that was what God was trying to to bring together. And it goes to the point where they even began selling things and bringing that it because it's just, you know, whatever. Taking up place and position and wasn't doing much. And so they would then bring that to the apostles and they would distribute that to those who had need within the church the church in acts to begin with was a very generous church and i think a truly great church in our day-to-day will be a very generous church and i don't believe that that god is going to bless a tight-fisted materialistic oriented money-grabbing you know church person i mean at its best we might call that carnal christianity where we're trying to be Christian, but we're living by the flesh. And at its worst, it's not Christianity at all. It's, it's just humanity. True Christianity, I think, is this. True Christianity is giving. And I think it's, it's demonstrated by God himself. And we all know that, that, that wonderful verse in John 3, 16, right? But we focus on love you have to, I have to go back into that the text of there, for God so loved the world that what he gave He gave He gave to us the generous heart of God is He offers up something for us, for the world, and to be like God we've got to be givers because that's the very nature of who he is and if we contain the nature of God within us through his spirit we then ourselves become a very selfless individual and we become very generous in life Jesus matter of fact said that you can't serve two masters you can't serve both God and money you can't have it both ways he tells us that God is our provider of all things that he meets our needs. And, and I'm here to testify. God has provided in my life. Now, I'm not a wealthy person. I don't have multiple homes and boats and all kinds of fun toys and stuff. That, But my needs are always met. Because God always provides my needs. And sometimes when I think I don't have any way of paying the next bill or doing whatever it is, somehow it's amazing that God shows up, and the money is there. Um, it, it, he, he just does. You know? My daughter is, is planning on getting married, and so funds are going towards that, and she's kind of tight on some things, and all of a sudden she calls, and yesterday, this is just outside of my, my, my sermon, but it was this interesting aspect. She calls and she says, um, I got a, um, a refund check from my mortgage company, Uh, I don't understand what what that's for. Uh, The escrow refund? (laughs) Well, it's real. She's like, I mean, I can cash that? (laughs) Yeah. You know, you've obviously have paid in more and things have been reassessed, and so you're getting some funds back. She says, "Well, that's gas money this week. (laughs) All right, you know. And so... God does things when we try to do things his way. and He provides and he blesses. And it's because God that we serve provides for us. I think we learn to be able to give with confidence that he's going to meet our needs, even when it appears that we don't have the ability to do it on our own. And so he provides a motivation for giving. So I want us to look this morning at a few characteristics about what it is that this church did to be a generous giving church. First off, it should be motivated by a thankful heart. I think the very first reason that we ought to give is because we love the Lord and we're thankful for everything that God has done for us. Remember, Jesus gave his very life for us. And to consider that he's only asking 10 cents out of every dollar? I mean, I tip more than that, don't you? And God has blessed us beyond what really we deserve should we not be thankful for that I mean, that should motivate us when somebody does something goes above and beyond for you my mother always told me say thank you so th- this we're motivated by a thankful heart and we give them because we want to we give because we're thankful we give because we, we want to express somehow the gratitude that we have in our lives but yet it's so easy to take things for granted I mean we live in a wonderful free country and we're well fed, we're clothed well, we've got houses over you know, that we can live within, and we're sheltered, and, and, and we have money in our pockets. And it's true that, that uh, we may not be as rich as some people, we may not have as much as others. But when you consider the rest of the people around this world, my goodness, we're wealthy. I mean, we're sinfully wealthy because God has blessed us. And in spite of all this, we sometimes are slow to acknowledge our blessings because we've grown so accustomed to them. Occasionally, we need to remind reminded just what we have been taking for granted that we need to be thankful for. So what is the, the true basis for thanksgiving? I mean, to be thankful, first off, you must have a... a be grateful for something or to someone it's it's been said that the atheist most embarrassing moment is when he feels profoundly thankful and grateful but he doesn't know who to thank that he realizes he has because someone or something has blessed him but really doesn't understand it but the real basis for th- being thankful is found in a person and it's in the person of Jesus Christ because of what He's done for us and how He's demonstrated His love for us. The greatest gift ever given was given by God, and it was in His Son, Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, Paul says, Thanks be to God for His what? Inexpressible gift. How could we even ask for Him to do what He did? We can't. That's what's called the gospel message. It means it's good news. It's good news for us. I mean, it, it, indeed, it's, it's the best news for us when we think about what he has done. And, and so it changes our lives. And, and we then have this ability to say, I'm, I'm thankful for it. But somehow it seems like even human words fall short of expressing our gratitude to God for what he has done. And so we give. I was reading about people that have given online and trying to figure out some, some ways in which to, to really de- to describe this. There was a lady up in Binford, North Dakota. She was an elderly woman. Her name is Mary. One Sunday at church she fainted and she fell and she struck her head on a pew and she was unconscious. They had a a paramedic there in the church, and he immediately called 911 and went over and was trying to take care of her and getting her vitals and all that kind of stuff. By the time they came in, uh, they rolled in the car to put her on it, and she began coming to. And then she motioned for her daughter to come over, and and everybody's thinking, well, these are her final words, which they weren't. But as her daughter leaned over to listen, she whispered to her daughter in her ear, my offering's in my purse. Is that the thing you would think about? As you're being wheeled out of a worship center because something has just happened to you physically and medically, and I'm going, wow. Gratitude. Giving. Well, the second thing is this. I put it this way. It should be given with a chuckle. <laughs> we, we should laugh. And, and really, it's, 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 I, I would laugh at the fact that I can't believe I'm giving this much money. <laughs> what kind of an idiot am I? I mean, we, we, when you consider what it is, listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. for God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, it's been said that if God loves a cheerful giver, and we know that he'll take money from a Scrooge, you know, because there are a lot of people in the church that we will classify as Scrooges that give. And he takes it and he uses it for his glory. But that's not his desire. What his desire is, he wants you to be cheerful when you give. He wants you to give with... The Greek word that's used here for cheerful is ilaros. And it's a word that we get hilarious from. He wants you to be hilarious in your giving. I mean, that so much so that you're just laughing because you can't believe you're actually going to give this today. You know? And and, and so it, it brings joy to us. And I thought maybe we ought to do our offering a little bit different. Maybe we ought to, you know, say, okay, let's see how how happy you can give when you give, (laughs) you know, that you're going to say, I can't believe I sold the house. Nobody's coming here. (laughs) Well, think about it. Hilarious. He loves us to the point when we can't believe that we're actually going to try and do this. I mean, that kind of giving does something in our hearts. Someone once said, Giving with glad and generous hearts has a way of rooting out the tough old miser within us. Even the poor need to know that they can give. Just a very act of letting go of money or some other treasure, it does something within us. It destroys demon greed when we give. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. "Give it will be given to you." A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the, tri- with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I mean, how do you think about all this? I mean, I don't want you to hear me saying that, that if you put a $5,000 check in the, in the offering today, that you're going to get rewarded with $50,000. I mean, that, that's kind of a health and wealth prosperity gospel that's not going to be preached from this platform. All right? That's not, that's not it. But I'll tell you what, you stretch yourself in giving and God is going to bless you. And it may not be in a material way. It may be in a relational way. It may be in a spiritual way. It may be just in, a, in, a, in an ability to love yourself and, and figure out what God is doing in you. And if you believe that you're in keeping with the proverb that says a fool and his money are soon parted, (laughs) there's a problem there. See, money is not what provides life for us, even though we think that that's what it is. I've known a lot of people who are very wealthy, and they're miserable. But I've known a lot of people who are very poor, and they are hilarious in the fact that they give what they give. Jesus even took his disciples into the temple one day to show them this little old lady that was walking in and was very poor, and she dropped in two little bitty coins, little mites that really didn't amount to much at all, I mean pennies. Just after this rich guy had just poured out a bunch of money and made a big scene about it, and he, he says, you know, she gave more than anybody else. She gave everything. Boy, what we could do if we learned to give everything. Third, I think learning to be a giver, is, is it should be sown generously. Now, now, we all know that having cash on hand is a big plus when you're out doing things when you have a need, right? If you've got the ability to just go buy it when you need it, that's, that's always things. But sadly, many Christians will keep for themselves rather than trust that God is going to provide for them. When they think, well, I need that money because I've got to replace my car coming up because it's failing on me, well, who knows? God may get you an even better car for less money than what you thought you were going to have to pay. Try him out. See what happens. Ananias and Sapphira, they were no different than people today. And they noticed that people were giving generously, and, and, and some of them were you know taking things and selling it and bringing it to the, to the church and saying, here, use this to meet people's needs. And so they said some property, and they thought, hey, let's sell that. And let's give that to the church and and meet the needs of the people as well in the church. And they both agreed to do that. But one thing they didn't really communicate with everybody was they were only going to give half of what they sold the property for, but they were going to let everybody know that it was really all they got. So we find there in the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 1, a man named Ananias... With his wife, Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself part of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? I mean, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not yours for disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down, he breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. And the young men, they rose and they wrapped him up and they carried him out and they buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, well, yes, for, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. I mean, we consider what's going on here. There was no need for either one of them to lie about it. They didn't have to give everything... They didn't have to give anything. But they gave with the intention that people would think that they were giving more than what they did. It was all about status. It was about being that rich man that walks in and jingles his coins and puts them in the offering rather than the humble widow who goes in and quietly drops her two mites. They wanted the attention and the applause of people rather than God. Their deception was for personal gain and recognition, holding back from God what, what we say we're going to give is a very dangerous thing. But fulfilling our commitment, well, that brings blessing. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, God is speaking, and he asks this question. He says, will a man rob God? yet you're robbing me he says but you say how have we robbed you well And your tithes and contributions, God says, you're cursed with a curse. And you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. The Bible teaches us that our giving needs to be generous and cheerful. A very pertinent scripture is that in Luke six thirty eight says, Given it will be given to you, a good measure pressed down and shaken together, running overly put into your lap, for with the measure you use we will be measured back. But Paul also writes that in second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six, he says, The point is this Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. If we're tight fisted with our sowing, I think we're going to be sadly disappointed with our reaping because the measure which we use to pour out to things in this world is the measure that we're going to get back. Now, if we give bountifully, we're going to receive in abundance. So you can't outgive God. That's what he's wanting us to know. You can't outgive him. And when you begin to catch fire with giving into <laughs> this hilarious attitude, God loves it. He says, oh yeah, watch this. You think you can give more than me? And he blesses you. I think there are basically four types of givers, and, and, and this is what... I see, there are those calculating givers. I mean, they, they get out and they determine, this is how much money I make, and they calculate it down to the very penny. This is what I've got to give. This is my 10%. No more, no less. And they specifically give that because that's it. There are those who are comparison givers and they look around, they say, oh, I got to give as much as so-and-so. Or at least I'm giving more than they are. And they compare their giving to somebody else. Well, a man who has a million dollars can easily give a thousand dollars and not miss it. But a man who's got 10000 for him to give 1000 boy, there's going to be a crunch. Right? There are those who are convenient givers. So after they pay all their bills, they pay all their taxes, they pay for this and they do that, and they've got all their food stored up, and so they say, okay, now what do I have left And I give? Out of convenience, we give. But God is not interested in our leftovers. He's interested in our first fruits. He wants to know, before you pay your bills, before you put the money on your mortgage, before you pay Uncle Sam, are you willing to give to me? Or do you take care of yourself and then give me some leftovers? He wants our first fruits is what he asks. And then there's finally the fourth, those who are the committed givers. These are the folks who take at least from a biblical standpoint, 10% off the top. And a lot of times they will go beyond that measure and they will give till they feel like this is great. <laughs> and, and they take joy in the fact that they can give above and beyond. And their circumstances do not determine their giving. Now their circumstances may determine their living, but not their giving. And finally, giving should be sacrificial in its offering. I mean our giving was, it was as as if it's going to be like the early church is, it ought to be sacrificial. So listen to what they say in Second Corinthians chapter eight, verses one through five, as he writes out to us. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Stop. Read that again. Can we go back one slide? For in a severe test of affliction their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. They've got hard times going on in Macedonia. He says, so out of their extreme poverty, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on that part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." And then he goes on, he says, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. They not only gave out of their excess, but they gave out of the things that they needed. That's what Paul is saying. Luke has written here in the book of Acts this history of these churches in Macedonia, and he is suggesting. They were struggling, but they saw other Christians who were struggling and they said, we'll do without. And they gave out of their poverty, they gave over an abundance and a wealth of generosity to meet the needs of somebody else whom they even considered worse off. And they were begging the apostles, let us give. Well, you won't be eating this week. I don't care. I'll fast this week. Let me give. I mean, have you ever considered that kind of heart being that generous in giving? They were committed, they were sacrificial. Most people only give out of their surplus. The person who lives more simply so the Lord's work can prosper is the one who's storing up treasures in heaven, is what Jesus really lets us know. Story goes that a man died and, and he went to heaven. And there he made this comment concerning his use of money on earth. He said, what I spent, I lost. What I saved, I lost. And I left. And what I gave, I have. We don't lose what we give to the Lord because he provides greater blessings that are stored up in heaven. I think many people will be surprised at the linkage between our giving here on earth and God's blessing in heaven. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37, listen what the church was doing. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things belonged, was his own, but they had everything in common. Nothing that he owned was his own, but it belonged. Now, isn't that communism? Well, maybe Christian communism. They're sharing with one another, recognizing that what I have is yours, and I'm willing to give it to you. It goes on, says, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and grace and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And Thus Joseph, who was also called the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The church couldn't wait to find ways in which they could give to help one another out. James L. Kraft, he was the head of Kraft Cheese Company here in, in America. He'd given approximately 25% of his wealth and income to the church and to other Christian causes. And he said, the only investment I ever made which I have paid constantly increasing dividends is the money that I have given to the Lord. I think that's probably the best thing I can do for you is to help you understand that it's not about saving up for yourself. It's about giving it to God and letting Him do His wondrous things with it. We've got to learn to be generous. John D. Rockefeller, he explained this great principle. He said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million if I had never made it no tithe of my first salary, which was $1.50 a week. William Colgate. He was a soap and perfume manufacturer. He had determined that he was going to start tithing in the year 1804, giving at least 10%. And matter of fact, he was often referred to as the man who became a millionaire because he gave to God. And he, he would give generously. But this was his his recognition comes out of Genesis chapter 28 verses 20 through 22. And he takes the verses in there and he applies this to his life. Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the 10th unto thee. And year by year, as he prospered, Eventually, he went from giving 10% to 20%, and in 1957, when he died, he was giving 30% of his income to the church. The real question I think we need to ask ourselves is this What does our money say about us? Or maybe I'll ask you, what do you want your money to say about you? You might ask if your preacher gives, and I will tell you, I do. I give. My wife and I have always given. We give above and beyond. You don't know how much it is. We give generously to the church. And there's other missions and ministries that we will support. But we give. Sometimes the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing until he looks at the checkbook and sees that she's written another check or given something (laughs) else You know, it's just, you got to be generous. How can I expect you to be generous if I'm not generous myself? As I often told my children growing up, follow my example. If I don't want you to cuss, I'm not going to cuss. If I don't want you to smoke, I'm not going to smoke. If I don't want you to drink, I'm not going to drink. If I don't want you to do these things, you're not going to do these things because I'm not doing them. I cannot expect the church to be generous hilariously if I'm not willing to at times either tell you what God steps in in miraculous ways and he always provides always provides see if we want to be a great church we've got to be a generous church yeah it's not just about your money honestly keep your money give me your hands give me your feet Give me your mind. Let me use you in, in, in trying to make a difference in this community. Let me put you to work and give yourself and give your time to do something to, to bring other people to Christ. Man, if you want to give, give. You give in many ways. But too often the problem is we lie on our own money instead of giving it away too. And testing God and his ability to provide for our needs. When we consider the selfish bent that our society has today, the greed that they try to make us think is really good, it's not. And when you think about it, being a, a, a generous giver really says a lot about your faith. It does, it tells whether or not you live by faith that He will provide. So we need to be people to do that. Chuck Swindoll has written a book called Improving Your Serve. And in, in that book, he tells this story. He says, shortly after World War II came to a close, Europe began uh, picking up all the pieces. And much of the old country uh, had, had, been, I mean, had been ravaged by the war and, 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 and it was in ruins. Then he says, but perhaps the saddest part of all of it was there was this little orphan boy There were a lot of orphans after wars. And this little orphan boy was in the streets there of this war-torn city. An American soldier was making his way back to his barracks, and he was driving by. He saw this little boy there staring into this pastry shop through the window, and just watching things. And so he he stopped his vehicle. He got on. He walked over to the boy, and he asked him, he said, would you like some of those? That boy said, oh, yeah, I would would like some of those. And so that's what he did. He went into the store. He purchased a bag full of those pastries, and he walked back out to where the boy was out in that cold, foggy day. And he gave him this bag of food. He said, here you go. As he started to walk away, the little boy tugged at his coat. And and, and quietly, the child asked him, he said, mister, are you God? You know, when we consider that I want to take you back to John 3.16. You see, because God so loved the world He gave. We are called to love the world as well. Will you give? The praise team wants to come on up and lead us. Preachers don't like, at least this preacher doesn't like talking about money. But it's something we have to. I don't want to know how much you give. I don't care. This church is healthy financially. My goodness the gifts that you give when we take up a special offering for a ministry or or a mission or or something in our community, it blows my mind away how generous you are. And, And it's not about giving for us. It's about taking the resources we have and making a difference. And I pray that this church continues to be so generous that it changes the world around us because it changes us when we give let's stand together let's pray Father open our hearts to see a world around us to be generous in giving whatever resources we have that, that Father we can give with hilarity we just can't believe we actually did that that we gave so much and yet you then come alongside and you're always providing for our needs we're so thankful Father take what little we have And multiply it, just as your son demonstrated with the fish and the loaves of bread. What meager amounts of money we have in the right hands can feed a multitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray.